so from the beginning, Eddie recognized not just that copyright was a means of protecting her authorship, but that it also was securing the value of the text for the reader. It was a way of communicating to the reader that this was the authorized text. That's Dr. Andrew Ventimiglia, my guest for a conversation on Mary Baker Eddy as a copyright activist. Dr. Ventimiglia's research on Eddy and copyright law provides for a foundational chapter in his forthcoming book, Copywriting God, The Mediation of the Sacred in Religion and Law, which is under contract with Cambridge University Press. I'm Jonathan Eder, Programs Manager at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, and welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast found at the intersection of scholarly inquiry and spiritual quest. The library provides a wealth of resources on the life, work, and writings of Mary Baker Eddy and the living history of the Christian science movement that she founded. I'm delighted to have with me Andrew Ventimiglia to discuss issues around copyright and their importance to Mary Baker Eddy and other writers in the 19th and early 20th century. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoy being here. Well, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Andrew, we first got to know you a couple of years ago when you came here to the library on a fellowship to explore the subject of Mary Baker Eddy and the importance of copyright to her and to uh, her writings, specifically Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, and just to her leadership and caretaking of the Christian science movement that she led and that she founded. In reading your fellowship application, I was so struck by the interdisciplinary approach that you were going to bring to this subject, which made sense considering your your rich background in media, in media studies, religious and cultural studies, and now in, in legal studies. It really resonated, Andrew, because so much of what I've discovered in presenting Mary Baker Eddy in different contexts is how interdisciplinary a life she had. She had this deep spiritual revelation, but what it required of her effectively was that she developed this expertise in a variety of professional fields and often really to be a trailblazer in order to bring Christian science into the public sphere. So we're going to get into uh, a dimension of that work in our conversation. I thought just to get started, it might be helpful for those of us who, who don't have a lot of, of legal background, just to get a, a good sense, to, to kind of settle us into what should we be thinking of around this issue of copyright and intellectual property, mm-hmm. and then to set us up in understanding that and its importance in the, the life and career of Mary Baker Eddy. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate the very generous introduction. And I love thinking about Mary Baker Eddy as an interdisciplinary figure. You know, <laughs> yeah. it takes a, it, it really is, you know, until you start exploring the, the life of a figure like that, it's often difficult to imagine what it takes to construct a religious organization, the, the incredible range of, as you said, like different skills that she had to marshal to do that. And the, the fact that she could mobilize legal knowledge and publication knowledge and professional knowledge in a way um, is really makes her an incredible figure. So for copyright, the U.S. copyright law, to, to, to go to its, its most basic, its foundation, is uh, in the Constitution, mm-hmm. which is that Congress shall have power to promote the progress of science and useful arts by securing for limited times to authors and inventors the exclusive right to their respective writings and discoveries. Wow. And so what, what that clause did, it provided the foundation for copyright and patent law. And usually we think of copyright, patent, and trademark 
collectively as the, the set of intellectual property laws, even though they all have very different histories, actually legal histories, but they're, they're often kind of clustered together. So copyright in particular is, is an author's right. So it's to protect any work that you author, whether it's a text or a film or a photography, anything that in the language of copyright law is fixed in a tangible medium of expression, it becomes yours. You have ownership over it. And usually what that means is it's a publication, right? So you have the right to publish it how and where you please, but it also involves other rights attached to it. So you also have the right not to publish what mm. you produce, right? So it's a level of, of control over the thing that you produce. And that's something that's shared amongst all of what we cluster together as intellectual property law. It kind of goes back to the philosophies of John Locke, who would describe that, you know, you have the the world of nature, right? And, and nature is for, as part of the human dominion. And humans, as they remove something from nature, they mix. So for instance, if, if someone were to cut down a tree and turn it into wood to build their house, they've mixed a part of themselves into the raw materials of nature and as such now have ownership over it. Mm. So as they transform the tree into wood for construction, it becomes theirs. And the object itself begins to have a trace of the human that put their labor, put their creativity into it. So that's kind of the foundational logic, which is just to say that anything that we produce through our own creativity and ingenuity, we put a bit of ourselves into that work mm -hmm. and that makes it ours. Mm -hmm. And so the, the law provides a regime for which you can have control over those things you produce. Yeah, so that's that's copyright in a nutshell. Well, that, that was wonderful. I mean, I <laughs> I could follow it, and I, I was inspired by it, and, and by and, and by our constitution. It was so succinctly and, and clearly phrased. Mm -hmm. So, how does Mary Baker Eddy's story intersect with this? Um, mm. You know, I, I, when you were talking about this, I, I'm reminded of something I read um, in a biography of Mary Baker Eddy by Gillian Gill, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm paraphrasing, but Gill characterizes Mary Baker Eddy's writing of science and health as just involving her at the, the deepest emotional, spiritual, and intellectual levels. So that, that kind of labor that you're, you're talking about in terms mm -hmm. of making something yours and owning something um, from Gill's perspective, and I think from many, must have been so deeply felt by, by Mary yeah. Baker Eddy. Yeah, I mean, Mary Baker Eddy as an author is such a fascinating figure because, first of all, she prided herself on her craft, right? Mm -hmm. um, science and health, as we know, went through so many revisions. She, she worked on it for years and years to get the language just precise to really capture all the ideas she was trying to convey. So absolutely, the, the labor and her, her right to authorship, which was often questioned by critics, is so apparent in her, in her own intellectual history. So Mary Baker Eddy, when she first published Science and Health, recognized the value of copyright in not just protecting the labor that she put into it or the, her own authorship, but I think from the very beginning, she also recognized that protecting the text, ensuring that the text really reflected the language and the approach and the authorship that she put into it, was also a means of protecting the reader that was to receive the text. Mm -hmm. In other words, she was copywriting the work to make sure that she knew exactly what the reader was getting after publication. Mm -hmm. um, and she was very concerned about the distortion of the text or another publisher or another teacher taking the text and using it in different ways or to 
having different interpretations of it or different lessons of it that may or may not be accurate. So from the beginning, Eddie recognized not just that copyright was a means of protecting her authorship, but that it also was securing the value of the text for the reader. Mm -hmm. It was a way of communicating to the reader that this was the authorized text, that this was the text that she produced. And so when readers encountered the text, they could be legally certain that the text they were receiving was essentially the voice of Eddie and through Eddie access to the divine truth that she was trying to convey. Yeah, that must have been extremely important to her because, I mean, her description of science and health is so often that it's a textbook. It's something that's actually giving direction for application and practice by others. So for it, mm-hmm. for that integrity to, to be protected must have been especially crucial for her. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can see this early in her history. Mary Baker Eddy, when she first secured her copyright, one of the first actions she pursued was against a former student of hers, Edward Arends. His primary infringement was the fact that he was producing a pamphlet that included large passages from Science and Health, as well as Eddy's earlier pamphlet, The Science of Man. But one of the things that I think most bothered her was not simply the, the infringement, but also that Arendt was incorporating these new materials into his own teaching plans, was creating lessons, and essentially was spreading a set of teachings that was very similar to Eddie's, but different enough that I think in Eddie's perspective could be very damaging, could mislead people. So for Eddie, using copyright in this particular instance was also about ensuring that the, as you say, the textbook, the science and health as a textbook, as a guide for others, would not be damaged by distortions or textual adulterations as that, that others could uh, impose upon it. So how did she get to an understanding of copyright? How did, how did she become informed about this? And what was the path that she took? These days, I just ask my buddy, do you know a copyright attorney I can talk to? You know, was, was that available to her? How did, how did she um, ha- have to become capable mm-hmm. in, the, in this area in that time? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really incredible because as far as I can tell, it was not information that was readily on hand, particularly someone in, in Eddie's life situation at the time, to really have a kind of savvy legal understanding of copyright. I think now mm-hmm. um, discussions about or kind of recognition of intellectual property rights broadly construed, now we're much more familiar with it, or at least know kind of vaguely what copyright is. And, you know, because of YouTube and because of different forms of creative activity. At the time, I think it would have been a, a challenge to recognize, and it would have taken some insight to recognize the value of, of the law. And I think her lawsuit against Edward Arends was a, was a key moment. Mm-hmm. It was a key moment in that she recognized the danger from this plagiarism and the, the, the circulation of these pamphlets. And so Arends published the pamphlet in 1881. And in January of 1882, Mary Baker Eddy and her husband, Asa, went to D.C. explicitly to research copyright. Wow. I imagine it's, it, there's, there aren't very robust records of the trip, but they clearly learned a good deal of at least the range of their rights. Because in 1883, they filed their bill of complaint against Arendt. Some of the records that were available in the Mary Baker Eddy Library included all the legal documentation that Eddie had prepared, which included a very careful analysis of Aaron's piece that marked off every section that was 
a passage that could clearly be linked to science and health. Um, she marked off passages that may have been original. She marked off little sections that she thinks were turns of phrase that were taken from her, but may have been too small to be considered legal infringement. So Eddie was very careful about looking through the text and being prepared to make the claim that this text took a lot from her own work. She also, they had um, a number of different exhibits that included all the documentation that proved her registration of science and health. So uh, eight exhibits tracking registrations and transfers with the Copyright Office. So Aaron, the Aaron's case becomes a kind of crash course in learning <laughs> yeah. about copyright yeah. and learning about its value. Yeah. And she won the case with, with pretty much no problem. And in doing so, I think afterward recognized just how valuable it was to keep these careful records, to keep careful registrations, and to be attentive to those issues, because that kind of in turn, that legal success in turn bolstered her spiritual status or her religious status. And Aaron's was very explicit in the case about using the case to say that Eddie did not author the things that she authored. So Aaron's you know, mm -hmm. in the courtroom said, would tried to make the claim that Eddie was just plagiarizing herself from Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, uh, the mental healer who was, at least for a period, a teacher of, of Eddie's or a, a, a doctor for Eddie. So Eddie's success in the case was also a way to assert her legitimate claim over the religious teachings that she had developed. The, these kind of issues around plagiarism, particularly with regard to Quimby, come up again with Mark Twain, et cetera. But really, to me, they, they always read as being very, very thin. And it's more an attack on her character than it is anything substantial. And it, and it speaks to the gender issue, right? The, the, the idea that literary craft is the domain of male authors made it so that a lot of people just didn't believe that Eddie was the author of the work simply because she was a woman. So Arendt introduces that claim um, but really goes, goes nowhere with it. That brings us to the end of part one of our conversation with Dr. Andrew Ventimiglia on Mary Baker Eddy as a copyright activist. In part two of our discussion, we'll delve further into the importance of copyright law to Eddy and other writers, in particular Mark Twain. We'll be releasing this episode next week. If you'd like to look at the copy of Edward Ahrens' pamphlet, that Mary Baker Eddy marked up and used in preparing her lawsuit on copyright infringement, please view the links on this page or within the Info tab of your podcast app. I'm Jonathan Eder, Programs Manager at the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast is produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2018.